As you can tell by the double musical intro today, we are going to have some fun. We are going to talk about the end of the world. And this has nothing to do with either Pinky or the brain. We are not trying to take over the world. We are simply talking about how and when it shall end. Hi, I'm Michael, in case you've forgotten. Lou's over there. Hi, I'm and, Lou. And, and yes, I pointed at him even so that you would know which direction he was sitting. Thank you. So there you go. Left to right on your radio if you're paying attention. We have gathered together this week to tell you that Jesus will finish things just as he planned. That's going to be our big eschatology punchline. I'm going to tell you now. If, if, if you are color-coded rapture chart guy. Oh, boy. Please don't send me angry emails. I don't care. I will delete them. I am not going to plant a flag today. Lou might, but I'm going to discourage him again so. You know how he is. Yeah, that Lou guy. That Lou guy. Yeah. We, the goal is not going to be to plant a flag, but to distill eschatology down to its most basic and fundamental truth. And that is something that no matter what side of whatever Rubik's Cube rhombus you come on, because we can't even say it's two sides of the fence, because when you get to eschatology, there's like eight different sides of each side of the fence. Right. And the fence is, not, it's not even a parallelogram. It's like, a, what is that thing? A, the dodecahedron, where it's like 20 sides all the way it's around. It's a mesh. Yes. Yeah, it's a mesh, and so you, it's like, electrified. If you go far enough, you can see yourself, but you don't know what side you're on. And so we don't want to plant a flag anywhere. What we want to do is actually get all of those people in the, the rhombus of eschatology to actually have distilled foundational ideas that we can agree on. Yeah. Because then, catch this, then you will actually have baseline ideas that you can build upon that will, catch this, actually benefit you in day-to-day life. Because let's be honest, isn't that why you're listening to a podcast from the Practical Theology Ministries? Is that we try to actually make sense of these things? Try to be practical about that, it. That, that would be a good idea. Look, at, like it's, it's <laughs> yeah. in the name. Yes. So with all of that said, let's start <laughs> off with a, an uncontroversial, controversial starting point. All right. Oh, here we go. Daniel chapter 12. We're only, only going to read two verses yes. because this is our foundation. Now at that time, Michael, great name, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Wow. You're going, but, 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 but there's more. Yes, yes, there is. There's a lot more. But and, and I don't care. Yep. I don't care. 
Do you care? Michael? I read my two verses and I don't care. I read my two verses and I don't care. That's where we're stopping. And the reason we're stopping is, again, foundational issues. We are going to make a concrete base that we can build on. So what can we glean from these two verses that would be universal in impact regardless of your eschatological position? For starters, God has an appointed time. Now, at that time kind of basic. You see that idea repeated in the New Testament. Paul in Galatians 4, when explaining the work of Christ, tells you what? When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. See, God working in history is important, because how, how can Christ redeem people from under the law if there's not a law yet? Right. Right, that makes sense. You see, I mean, that we need that. One before the other. And, and how could Christ redeem people from the curse of the law if they had not actually had the law long enough to experience the curse? <laughs> that's, that's interesting because I think there's always, you know, since, since mankind was created, there's been law. Agreed. But, but not, not the Mosaic law. Exactly, which fundamentally explains what does your holiness look like minute in and minute out of your life. And that's what that Mosaic law gives you from Exodus through Leviticus all the way into the reiteration of Deuteronomy. It's not that it's a new idea. It's that, no, now it's codified into what does this look like minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, as you're actually trying to live in holiness. That's what I think we're getting on about in Galatians 3. It's about the curse of the law. Is there, there's meant to be a heaviness to it when it is fully applied because apart from the Holy Spirit redeeming and changing you and apart from the mercy of God bringing you into his kingdom, that law is no means by which you can be saved. Right. So apart from those things, it is a means of Oppression is a hard word, but I think in this instance it fits. It's a soul crushing because you recognize day in and day out your you sinfulness. Yeah, you just... And that's what I think the curse of the law is about. So it's not like God can give the law in Exodus. So let's just say you summarize the law, Exodus 20, 10 commandments comes down. There it is. So why can't Jesus come back, come back in Exodus 21? Because they haven't lived with it. They haven't walked the road. They haven't borne the burden so as to be helpless and to demonstrate right. the helplessness of humanity. I think there's also a purpose for God's law. Oh, absolutely. And a purpose for who he gave it to and the time frame that he gave it. And we just have to recognize that the gospel includes far more than just the, the nation of Israel itself. Though, you know, those are, you know, it's going to be a blessing to all Oh, see, you're getting ahead. Okay, you're, sorry, you're, I'm you're not trying getting, to do that. You're getting ahead. See, that's point number two. Okay. We're on timing right now. Right. So we've got to actually have timing. So since Lou is being like that and getting that's ahead, right. we'll go to point two. God will redeem his people. Now, notice how I'm phrasing that. Where did I get that? The great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will rise. There will be a time of distress, uh, such as never occurred in many of those in the judgment stuff. So God will redeem his people. Now, the fun part is, um, let's, let's, let's define a people here. And let, let's have some real fun. If, if Daniel 12 isn't uh, controversial enough, Romans 9. It is not as though the word of God has failed. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Oh, that, that's a kidney punch right there, isn't it? Nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. See, Paul's making a logical point here. You can't go, well, I'm Abraham's descendant, therefore I'm heir of the promise. Ishmael's people aren't heirs of, aren't heirs of the promise. 
they're Abraham's descendants. Isaac is the son of promise. Therefore, that's the same thing John John the Baptist tells people in Luke 3. Don't tell me you're Abraham's descendants. God can raise up Abraham's descendants from these stones if he wants to. It matters who you are, not where you have come from in this regard. And who you are is only to be identified in godliness. I think you can summarize this really simply uh, going back a chapter from Galatians 4 to Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ... You are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Yeah, and, and you know, not that the, that the laws are, uh, well, how do we put this? Uh-oh. Salvation is by faith alone through grace alone, yes. right? But that doesn't negate the actions that are required of a person that says they believe. <laughs> Christ himself said, if you were Abraham's son, you would do as he did. You would be happy to see me. You would... You Why do you call me Lord, me. Lord, and not do what I say? Right. Yeah, but that's, that's, this is, see, this is where we disagree with our Roman Catholic friends, is that would be what we're, that's the distinction Lou is trying to draw is the distinction between justification and sanctification. Right. The Roman Catholic Church would it's smush a, them together. Inflation, yeah. We want to make sure that's not what we're doing. We, there are two separate doctrines, saved by grace, through faith, justified not by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ. But you are now sanctified by your obedience to Christ, walking in the Spirit. This is consistent in the New Testament. This is consistent in the epistles. You can't get away from this. You're stuck with it. Now, the important thing of this that we're trying to get back to, who are Abraham's kiddos? Faith. Those who are of faith. doesn't matter what. uh, As I mentioned on Sunday morning a few weeks ago, we need Backstreet Boys theology. You should see the look I just got losing. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the song. I don't care who you are, where you're from, what you did. See, that's that's good Christian theology right there, isn't it? That could almost wow. be a worship song. Oh, boy. See, I got the earpiece going and everything. I spared Lou the hand motions. <laughs> <laughs> and you can tell by he's, the, he's reliving this video. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. I could have been in a boy band if I was, you know, like blonde and could sing. <laughs> it's going nice. to be a crime. It's got to be one blonde dude that looks like he belongs on a surfboard in every boy band, right? Yes. 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 And then, like, the one dude who looks like he's 35 when the rest of them look 12. Yeah, there's always that one. There's always that one guy. Yeah. We, they, they, got, they, they got to get the, uh, the middle-aged woman reliving her teenage years demographic with that guy, I think, is how that works. It's all marketing, I'm telling you. I'm terrible at it, but I understand how it works. So, now, hmm. who are God's people? Those who are of faith. This is replete from Old Testament to New Testament. We have covered this before in previous episodes. Go back and listen to them. They will do you good. This is fun for you. So, God will redeem his people. Again, notice this. This is the specific language of Daniel 12. (coughs) At that time, Michael the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise and he will redeem. That's what you see at the end. Those who are of God will be rewarded. Those who are not, well, I got some bad news for you. Now, that's the second half of this. At the end, while there is a blessing and a redemption for the people of God, there is a cursing. There is a judgment for the people that are not of God. So think Isaiah. You ready? All right, get, get the Isaiah outline in your brain because I know you all have Isaiah outlined in your mind. Oh, my. Yes, like the whole book. That's, that's, if you haven't done that before, do it now. It's good for you. Okay. So Isaiah 24 talks about the judgment that God is going to bring about. 
Isaiah 25 then talks about the praise of God for the protection of his people in the midst of the judgment that's going on. And that leads you into Isaiah 26. In that day, this song will be sung. So what day are we talking about? That day. Which is the day of God's <laughs> judgment, going all the way back to Isaiah 24. Right. We have a strong city. He, set up, he sets up walls and ramparts for security. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter. The one that remains faithful, the steadfast of mind, you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the, Lord, for the God, the Lord we have, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. See, where, where when you're thinking eschatology would you see things like strong cities and walls and ramparts. Does that sound anything like the end of Revelation where the, the New Jerusalem and the walls literally reach up miles into the heavens? Sure, sure. See, this, I mean, Daniel talks about that. Daniel rock talks about the same out. thing, yeah. the rock growing into the kingdom, chapter 2, and again in the second half. Yeah, yeah. So the point of this being, when you see the vision of the book of Revelation, it doesn't occur in a vacuum. No. It's not like John was just tripping on acid one day or, you know, he had some really good shrooms or something. And he's like, dude, there was a city and the walls are really high and Jesus was there. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Uh, yeah. <laughs> see, see, Lou has to deal with the faces. Do you understand oh, the things goodness. that you are spared that you only have to you listen guys to are this? so lucky. You don't have to see it? Yeah, you're, you're, you're well, blessed. One of the other things, when we start talking about that rock. We, we, we think about that spiritual rock that followed the people of mm-hmm. Israel in the, in the wilderness. And, and I mean, it's just everywhere. That yes. rock is everywhere. And that rock is Jesus Christ yes. in the book of Hebrews, right? What um, I think W.A. Criswell coined this, what we call the scarlet thread throughout scripture, is this understanding of Christ in, interwoven into all of these right. stories. And you see that here. The, the vision of Revelation doesn't occur in a vacuum. It's actually hearkening back to the prophetic things of Isaiah, the prophetic teachings of Ezekiel, of Daniel, to the promises made by God in the garden, to the promises made to Abraham, to all of these things that are done, to the events of Exodus even. There's a hearkening back to all of these things. That's why when you get to the end of Isaiah 26, you see this. Your dead will live. Their corpses will rise. Hmm, that sounds a lot like Daniel 12, doesn't it? Yeah. Also sounds like the, uh, the great multitude around the throne in, in Revelation as well. You who lie in the dust awake and shout for joy. Now you're thinking about things like what Paul would be talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. For your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. Come, my people, enter into your rooms. Close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until indignation runs its course. For behold, the Lord is about to come out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will reveal her bloodshed and will no longer cover her slain. Yeah, we're talking about the day of the Lord there. We're not talking about yeah. some secret... No, there's no... There's no, no, yeah, no planting a flag. See, oh, I told you oh, Lou would it. be the troublemaker. I did it. I told oh, you man. he'd be the troublemaker. Look, look, if you're a rapture person, I disagree with you. I still love you, but I disagree with you. And these are some of these verses are some of the reasons. But again, what do we have now consistently, though, from Daniel through to the New Testament, even going back to Isaiah, we've got God working on his time frame, Mm -hmm. redeeming and blessing his people, cursing and judging those who are not his people. And and just so we're clear, the, the, the people that God is redeeming and blessing, they are made up of both physical Israel, the natural branches, and the than the people from the nations. That's to, part of your Romans to, 9. Right. Now, let's rewind, because what's the line of demarcation between the God's people and the not God's people? What's the dividing line there? 
Christ. Faith Romans in Christ. 8. Absolutely. Faith in there Christ. There is no condemnation for who? For those who are those in Christ, are in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Right. For this, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Right. For what the law could not do, as we were talking about earlier, weak as it was through the flesh. See, right. the law is not the problem. Your sin is the problem. God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So he came as yeah. we are, but without sin. Hebrews 4. As an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Yes. So there's our justification. Because we walk in the Spirit. Now, as we are walking, we are seeking to glorify God and accomplish our good works that he has ordained because we are now new and we are rightly seeing, this is your 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, and understanding the world around you. We have another, it's like a whole creation all over again. We've been, God yes. has done a new thing. Uh, what's that, 2 Corinthians 5? Absolutely, I mean, we... Colossians 1, yeah. same idea. Right, we were Read your Bible, above. it will do you good. If you haven't right. figured out, you notice we keep throwing in these Bible verses because what is it? These are areas that give you grounding for these ideas. We're not coming up, off, coming up with these out of the top of our head. These are things that are in Scripture. Now, yeah, these are all things that help shape your worldview and help you understand the time and season that you're in. And now, so what's our baseline foundation? Regardless whether you are pre-millennial, in which case you could be pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, no-trib. So whether you're pre-millennial and then all of the offspring of that, whether you're Mm amillennial, whether you're post-millennial, we can all, all of us can agree on these points, I think. God has an appointed time where he will accomplish all of these things. God will redeem his people. Mm -hmm. God will judge those who are not his people. And the thing that separates his people from those under judgment is Christ. So stipulated? All those in favor say aye. 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 All those opposed like sign? All right. Motion carried. Mm -hmm. That's your baseline. Now, why do we care? Well, first of all, what we're laying out is not just foundational for eschatology. This is foundational for gospel understanding. That God is the author of history that God is redeeming based upon the work of Christ, and that if you are not redeemed in Christ, there is a judgment that awaits you. That's not just an eschatological foundation. That's a gospel foundation. That's, that's baseline, fundamental worldview stuff for Christian living in this place. Now, the second reason why this becomes so important is there is a fourth millennial position. So there's premillennialism, where you think we are not yet in the millennial kingdom. There is the amillennial kingdom, which, full disclosure, that's me, hi. There is the amillennial kingdom, which views the thousand years as figurative, and we are within that figurative time here and now. Now, there is the traditional reformed understanding and what the reformers would have understood, which is the post-millennial tradition, which says that the millennial kingdom is figurative and at a point in the past, you'll also see a lot of preterists would fall into the post-millennial category. Not talking about any of those, we want to also deal with the fourth millennial position, the pan-millennial position, which is that it will all pan out in the end. Don't be that guy. (laughs) Don't be that guy. Is that a true statement? That God will work all of these things out according to his plan at the, at the appointed time? Yes. I'm yeah. con- yes, I'm that's certain. a true statement. Yes. Is, is that good enough for the believer to say, that's my eschatological position? Oh. I would say no. Wow. And I think it's incumbent upon us to actually do the work of understanding Scripture. Even if you disagree with me, I can't imagine why you would do such a thing. Right. But, you know, stranger things have happened. It's okay. You can be wrong. 
I still love you, but you know, some of you, us are still working it out. You need to. You need to do this work. Here's why. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> you need to have an opinion on this. Not only do you need to have an opinion on this, you need to be able to defend the opinion you have on this. And this is why I tell you the pan-millennial position is not good enough. When you say, well, I, I just don't really care. It's all going to work out. I don't need to know how it's going to happen. While that may be a true statement at its face, what you have just told me is that you have no opinion about how Daniel 12 relates to the New Testament. You have no opinion about the kingdom that Isaiah is talking about in chapters 24, 25, and 26. You have no real understanding of what Paul is actually discussing in 1 Corinthians 15 when he lays out the resurrection. You don't really understand an entire book of the New Testament known as the book of Revelation. You don't understand how the teachings of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians relate to the book of Revelation. You don't understand what Hebrews is getting on about with sanctification and temple worship and how it relates to Christ. You don't have an understanding of what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24 when he comes back and the judgment that will occur. You have no idea about any of this. We're getting to pretty big chunks of the Bible here that you're basically saying, you know, whatever, I'm good. You know, I got most of, you know, like two gospels. I'm, I feel pretty good about myself. That Christian, mm -hmm. that's just not good enough. Now, am I telling you that you should dogmatically hold to your eschatological position that you should be like a Rottweiler with a burglar's leg. And yes, the face accompanied those noises. You should have seen it, people. And you will not let go for love nor money. I am not telling you that, and here's why. Of all the doctrines that we hold, some of them should be held with what we call an open hand. Remember our, our we're going to borrow a term from Al Mohler here, Remember our spiritual and theological triage. Right. Some things are non-negotiable. Like if you want to tell me that there is another way of salvation other than the, this, than the salvific work of Christ, we're going to have problems. Right. We can't be friends. You are not allowed to bring something to the potluck. You are not allowed to speak at the church. No, you get out, do not pass, go, condemn to hell, you're a heretic. Right. We're not having this conversation. If you want to argue with me about whether or not God is revealed as a trinity... Same problem. If you want to talk about the sufficiency of Scripture, same problem. If you want to talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, same problem. If you want to tell me that my works influence my salvation, same problem. If you want to tell me that I need an elder-led form of government in my church, we aren't going to have that problem. We can talk about that. I have an opinion. I have an idea. I can defend it from Scripture. I can debate your points. I can point out where I think your points are right or wrong in Scripture. That's good. Yeah. We should be able to do that. That's a mercy and a blessing from God. Welcome to eschatology. Eschatology is not a first-level issue. I would argue it's not even a second-level issue. Like, mode of baptism might be a second-level issue. Um, church governance was probably a second-level issue because that determines how you worship week in and week out. Right. And, and if I don't like the way you worship week in and week out, I don't know if you want me in your church. Right. I want you to go to a church where you're more comfortable because I don't feel like having this fight with you every Sunday at 12 o'clock when I just want to go to lunch. <laughs> I don't want to fight with you about it every week. Go somewhere you're more comfortable. That's a blessing from God. That's second level. Third level, I don't care what your eschatology is. I, I really don't. Right. And I have never served in a church, I don't think I serve in a church now, that the majority of the congregation, or even the, a minority of the congregation, agrees with my eschatological position. I'm in Baptist churches, people. Do you know how many Baptists are, are dispensational? Like, all of them. Yeah. Yeah, I left that. I left that. I left that a long time ago. But you know, I, I, 
I've looked at the scriptures. I've tried to understand them. I don't see that world. I don't see that view of eschatology as being the correct one. Agreed. But if you do, I don't have a problem with you. Right. We can talk about it. We can debate about it. We can look at the scriptures. And you know what? That's actually a good thing for believers to do is to actually sit down, open their Bibles, go through these things and talk about it, understand it and, and, and hash it out a little bit. And work, work, work things out. You don't, you don't want to always be in the cage stage and and ready to, to, you know, go to fisticuffs when somebody disagrees with your view of eschatology, whatever it is. We've had people leave our church over it. Like, oh, I had a woman call me a heretic because Mm -hmm. I wasn't pre-trib, pre-millennial, dispensational rapture person. Yeah. Like, her and her husband left the church. Like, if you're, in her exact words, if you're wrong about that, I don't know what else you could be wrong about. That is such a bad argument. Wow, lady. Okay, that's how we want to play. No, that's not. Now, should she have an opinion? Yes. Should she be able to defend her opinion? Yes. Should we be able to discuss the scriptures, go through, explain how we understand them, look at them in context, and figure this out? Also, yes. Should we have to divide over that? No. Don't be a pan-millennialist. By pan-millennialist. <laughs> Plus tax. Too many syllables in no. millennial. I, you know, I, I do have an opinion on it, but I, I'm not going to argue with somebody over it. No, most of the time I'm not either. I'm going to go, okay, that's awesome. That's, that's you know, fine. And I'm one of those people that says, you know, God's going to, he's going, like we, we just talked about in the beginning, God is going to do all that he said he was going to do. Yes. And look, I, I'm telling you this from experience <coughs> because I have gone through so many eschatological positions because I, I didn't know enough. Mm-hmm. And that, that was part of the conviction that I have was, wow, <coughs> I'm, I'm really avoiding just taking a stance on this simply because I don't know enough about the scriptures that talk about it. Yep. See, that's a problem. That's what I'm admitting when I say I don't have a stance on eschatology. No, you need to. Just like you need to have a stance on church governance, mode of baptism. You need to have an understanding of giving, an understanding of, of all of your finances, an understanding of family, of marriage, and it needs to be biblically informed. You should do the same thing with eschatology, mm-hmm. and you should be able to discuss it and able to deal with it. Don't just sit there and go, well, you know, God's going to figure this out. Yes, we stipulate to that. There's an appointed time. He's going to redeem his people. He's going to judge those who are unbelievers, and the dividing line between the two is Christ. We agree there. He's going to do that. But work through the nuts and bolts. Now, what will be the blessing if you do that? Because there's, I think there's actually a blessing to you doing that. And what that will be is a security in biblical knowledge, a deepening of how your Bible works as a total. This is one of the things that I think the modern church, both in America and in other places, and in high to internationals, I keep looking at the numbers, about a quarter of our audience is outside of the United States. So, right. hi, I'm right. waving to you. Um, I don't necessarily know all of your cultural issues, so you'll just have to apply this as necessary. But I think that the inability of people to make those connections from New Testament to Old Testament, seeing both the fulfillment going backwards and the promises when going forwards is a problem. We truncate our understanding of the Bible and we truncate our understanding of the majesty and transcendence of God because we don't see the Bible as one big story. We see it as this part over here in Revelation and this part over here in Paul's letters and this part over here with Israel. And I think that hurts us. 
And even if you're a dispensationalist who thinks that there was a time God's working with Israel and that's now stopped, and now he's working with the church and then that will stop and then he will work with Israel again, even you have to admit there is a continuity to the working of God through the ages across ethnic boundaries regardless of who those people are. You have to see that. And to ignore that and just say, well, this is my system and this is what I think is going to work— actually put it together in a way that weaves Genesis to Revelation together so that you are seeing the grand totality of Scripture. Because here's what that's going to do for you. It's going to point you in the right direction of your living. Lou, what is our goal? Where are we going? Well, we're following Christ. We're discipling, you know, the people around us. We're, um, We're trying to live our lives as best as we can according to our worldview and our faith. And when will that be perfected? Um, on the other side of the resurrection, I believe. In God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, yeah. Now, is that a secure kingdom? Oh, absolutely. See, that's one of the things you should know, Colossians 3. If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Notice there's no if in there. Right. Paul's not like, well, we hope when Jesus comes back, he'll complete our work. We hope that when he returns for us, that he'll set all these. No, no, no. It's done. Your future in God's kingdom is secure. Now, think through this. You're dispensational. How do I know my kingdom is secure, that my, my place in God's kingdom is secure? Well, because you read your Bible and you see that God is going to redeem you from this place. He's going to pull you out before the judgment occurs. He's going to set you aside for his kingdom. And then when he ushers in his kingdom fully, you will return with him. That's good news. Mm -hmm. What if you're like me? You're all millennial. How is my kingdom secure? Well, because I recognize that this is a, a figurative kingdom and that Christ is reigning from on high. But Satan is still loosed, but not so that the gospel is truncated and not so that the gospel is unfruitful. So I know that while Christ is still allowing sin to, to run its course now, he is in control and he is in command, which means there's going to come a time when he will be finally in command, where that running of a muck of sin will be dealt with and his kingdom will be secured again. And if I'm post-millennial, I see all of the promises fulfilled. I see the destruction of the temple as being something that was promised and accomplished. I see God's faithfulness down through the ages, and I know, therefore, that the final kingdom will be ushered in because all the other promises have been brought, brought to pass. Yeah. See, there's all three millennial positions, but they all three land me in the same place when I distill them down to their baseline foundations, mm-hmm. that I am secure. So, since I know I am secure there, what is my goal between here and there? To be as faithful as possible in the meantime. Uh-oh. I'm getting a look from my daughter on the other side of the glass. So Lou is just going to have to talk about Ephesians 5 <laughs> while I figure out what's going on. Children, got to love them. talk much. <laughs> that's okay. I, I sprung Ephesians 5 on Lou. That's, not, that's my fault. So... 
Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all the things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Let's distill that really down. Walk faithfully till the end. Yes. This is your goal. We have a big fancy theological word for that. It's called sanctification. Right. I mean, Paul talks about it earlier in his epistle, um, Ephesians 2.10, you know, in walking in the good works that God prepared beforehand. It's because he has saved you. Right. This is, this is what we do. Now, again, once again, regardless of your millennial position in eschatology, you can do this work. So if you're dispensational, you know that the church age will come to an end. You know that God will usher you into your kingdom or into his kingdom and you will be a part of his kingdom. Therefore, what do you do? You walk faithfully knowing that God will redeem you before it gets too bad. If you're a millennial like me, your job is to do what? To be a witness regardless of how bad it is. So my goal is to testify to the goodness of God in a dark world, knowing that he rules and reigns around high and that that reign will be cemented here on earth eventually. So what do I do? I continue to walk faithfully as a testimony to him. This is good. Post-millennial, same idea. What am I still waiting for? I'm waiting for the final kingdom. It's not here yet. So what do I do? I walk faithfully to the end. Doesn't matter what position you have, you continue on in faith. Now, with all of that said, who's the one we hope for? The return of our, our Lord. I mean, there it is. That's, that's the ultimate goal. Philippians chapter 3. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value, I just lost my place, of knowing Christ Jesus <laughs> my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. This happening? you looking at a computer screen, glowing white, it messes you up. And I count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteous which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, the power of his, re- the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. There were two little gremlins running around again, and then they disappeared. <laughs> My little gremlins. So here, I think I know what they want, so let's see if this is it. Let's see if they figure that out. <laughs> what is Paul talking about? doesn't matter what I have in this world. doesn't matter what points, what, where I'm going in this life. doesn't matter what has befallen me. Where am I going? To Christ. To Christ. What do I want? I want Christ. So it doesn't matter. I don't have to fear. I don't have to worry. I don't have to wonder. I have Christ. And again, if you're premillennial, what do I have? I have the promise of Christ redeeming me before this world gets too bad. If you're amillennial, I have the knowledge that Christ has redeemed me regardless of this world. And if you're postmillennial, you have already seen the, fi- the finalized work of Christ accomplished. You are just waiting for the realization of it. It's done. See, understanding your foundations means we can talk about the second level things. Right. But we agree where? At the base. Right. At the core. We are solid, and we can still be friends. Yeah, I I think this is like a a third level, isn't it? You know? Oh, yeah, we're we're way down. Yeah, I mean, we should not divide over it. We should not um, fight with our families over it. Uh, These are things that 
we need to work through together. If we have a, a foundation, a base, uh, we can work from there. Yeah. We need to have war theology. 70s band war. Why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? Oh, man. You guys can see this, this uh, demonstration yeah. here. You get, you get the little happy face, the little, the little hands going. Yeah, this is all sorts of weirdness going on. Again, count yourselves blessed. Poor Lou is scarred for life every time we do this. It so. brightens up your day. I mean, <laughs> see a grown man dancing and doing stuff like that. Yeah. It's half the fun. It's fun. All right, children, what have we learned today? Jesus will return. God's kingdom will come to pass, and we should understand those truths, right. be able to defend those truths, and be able to walk in those truths. Now, we apologize. Life has gotten in the way the last few weeks of getting some different things onto you. I promise you this, though. The next two weeks, we will get something in there, whether I can be here or not, because we will get it worked out. Because if you don't know what's going on in our country, because, again, I, I know we do have an international audience. Hi, I'm waving to you again. Um, in the United States, we have this little thing coming up called an election, mm. and it's, they get worse every four years. I think, uh, yeah, this is going to be one of the worst ones I've, I can remember. So next week is before the election, we are going to walk through the proper role and job of government before we vote so that we can kind of be in a place to evaluate and understand what, as Christians, our view should be so that we can think about these things and evaluate them. Again, what, are, what is our goal here in practical theology? After the election, we're going to come back and talk about a very important subject, the sovereignty of God. Because one of the things I think we forget so often is, regardless of who your president, prime minister, potentate upon high may be, that God is still king, reigning upon his throne. And I think in the midst of on the other side of an election, we should be able to evaluate that and understand that as a comfort as we go through. So there's what we're going to do the next couple weeks. Should be fun, should be educational, hopefully should be comforting. All right. Anything else we have forgotten to cover today, Lou? I don't think so. I think you thoroughly went through it. All right. In that case, read your Bible. It'll do you good. See you guys. Bye.